Welcome back, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insights with other IT leaders and others they want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as every week, I have here my two co-hosts, Paul Lewis and Hart Holton. Hey, guys. Thanks for that introduction, Carlos. As, as always, I'm Howard Holton, and I'm here with Paul Lewis. Hey there. How's it going? And uh, we've got kind of an interesting one this week. Um, we're going to have some fun this lovely Friday in the summer, and we're going to talk about Legos. Mm. Really, who doesn't like Legos? So, Paul, we were just talking about it. I know you have a, a you know, a Lego builder collection. What, what, you know, what kind of Legos are you into? What do you like? So we do uh, Lego architecture for the most part. So these are the, you know, the buildings or the, you know, the great uh, wall of China kind of thing. Uh, we like to go to places, visit them like in Dubai, see the big tower. I think it's the Burj Khalifa. Now I remember it. Uh, and then come back and build it when we get home. So it's almost like it's part of our souvenir process. And then as we remember the interesting trip, we get to build the, build the tower and then put it up on the mantle. My entire dining room is, is filled with, uh, with, with these kind, which, which we do as a family, which I enjoy. Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a car guy. So mm. the Legos I prefer are, are those based off of a car I particularly love. Um, the challenge tends to be I, I, I'm not super on top of Legos, so I tend to miss them and then have to buy them on the secondary market. <laughs> it's just decidedly unpleasant. But I do have, I do have, uh, have this one right here. Oh, Zoom is doing its best to uh, to green screen out, which is I think interesting. Nice. It doesn't Lego, seem car related. It's the the Lego Bubba Fett, because <clears throat> you know I'm a I'm a big Star Wars nerd, as nice. you may have guessed. I don't know, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> Although I, I do have to complain, there's not a whole lot of beards represented in Star Wars. It is true. We fix that in some of the upcoming episodes or upcoming. Uh, upcoming films and, and shows. I think it'd be great. A little more beards would be nice. We need to, uh, we need to talk to them directly, um, both the Star Wars people and the Lego people make that happen. I, I tend to agree. I tend to agree. Although I don't know, how, how, how do you think Lego, Lego beards would look? <laughs> That's true. I'm not sure how. It would definitely be straight. Well, when you looked at the Lego <clears> movie, <throat> what Merlin was in it, right? Gandalf was in it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know if I recollect what their actual beards look like. I don't remember. I don't know if they did like big busts or anything. But so, so, so I mean, I think, I think the joy of Lego is, is a couple things, right? One, um, we all kind of had Legos as kids and it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of a, it harkens back to that, to that kind of childhood that we liked. When we look at the more complex things, it's, it also gives us the ability to build something physical, tangible in the real world. And I think in IT, that's something that we miss a lot, right? I, I, I get into cars and, and woodworking specifically. So at the end of that hobby, I end up with something done that I can say, I did that. I, I built that. I changed that. I modified that. I created a thing that exists in the real world that is tactile, that people can see and look and touch, that speaks to something I wanted. And, and I think in IT, we... You know, we don't generally get that sense of accomplishment within our within our day to day job, right? We get we get much more of the I did a thing because I said I did a thing, and only people who know about the thing are able to verify the thing even exists. Right, and it, it's a bunch it's, of to do lists. It's a bunch of day to day activities that don't necessarily amount to something grand, uh, because you as an individual are a contributor to a bigger project. Right, right. Yeah. 
Oh, look, I worked on my website. I worked on the company's website today. Oh, you built the website. Oh, no, no. I, I, I brought up the new servers that all of that stuff sits on. Uh, okay, how do I see that? Well, you don't really see it because it's, it's pretty much the same, but, we, but until we hit 10,000 additional users per second, like it's really a scalability thing. Like all of that starts to become really hard to right. explain to your mother what you do. <laughs> right. right. Versus, hey, I built a table. Oh, I'm so proud. I can see the table. That's a beautiful table. <laughs> yes, there's not a lot of obviousness, which we will have a future pod on how our families think about what we do and how they describe it, which I think will be interesting. That's true. I think that might be our first pure comedy episode. <laughs> right. Like there's no that real intention for it to be pure comedy. But ultimately, um, interviewing our families and trying to get them to describe what we do for a living, right. there's going to be some comedy contained in there, whether we like it or not. You did describe as kids as us having Lego. And I think I had two parts to that, right? I had Lego sets to which, you know, had a, um, a prescribed outcome, right? Here's the thing I need you to produce. And yep. it, it potentially even had little bags for little, you know, ones, twos, and threes worth of work. Uh, and of course, it had a page by page how to build it. But then I also had the bag o Lego, right? It was various and sundry, and it was pure creative, pure experimentation. And you might have actually started with that uh, and building whatever you thought was interesting to build. You, usually, it was you know tall buildings to which you could push down, or some sort of vehicle with <laughs> that you could roll across the across the um, table. But that was about it. Uh, but those two still existed, still require an outcome, but at least, uh, you know, one time I was working with the raw materials, one a full plan. And I don't know about you, but when I worked with the raw Lego materials, because I had exactly the same thing, right? I bought Le Lego sets, but my parents would also every so often buy me Legos, thinking right. he does so well with the Lego sets. I'm sure he'll do great with just raw yeah. Legos. He's so creative. Never went that way. He's the Picasso <laughs> of Legoing. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was much more like if you ask a kindergartner to draw a car, you get a shape that you think maybe has wheels on it. Let's say, let's say a second grader to draw a right. car, right? Most of them, it turns out like it's this kind of wedge shape with some wheels on it, right? Maybe you get a truck thing that you can kind of determine as a truck based on the, the kind of basic outline shapes of a truck. Mm -hmm. um, it, that's kind of how all those Legos turned out for most people, right? Most of us, we put those Legos together. Ah, it's a building in that it has a rough building shape, but none of the real features that you'd want in a building. Right. right. Versus <clears throat> if I sit down with the plans to build this Boba Fett, I guarantee you it will turn out exactly like Boba Fett. Right. Right. When I build the 911 uh, GT3, it turns out exactly like the 911 GT3. And granted, my build of the kit will look the same as everyone else's build of the kit, <clears throat> but I kind of knew that going in and that was kind of the purpose. Right. Right. And so you weren't looking for creativity. You were looking for what? What, what, was, what was the fun? Oh, the, if you the, knew what the outcome was going to be already. The fun was building the established outcome, right? Being able to put it up on the shelf and say, I built that thing and it does exactly what I knew it was going to do. It a hundred percent accomplishes the goal that I set out to accomplish when I built it. Right. At, at no point am I ever disappointed. I'm just disappointed that I don't have an infinite eight years old and up. Yeah. Really get this done. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the fact is, right. The same thing translates over to it. Right? I don't set out on a project to acquire a bunch of technology to see what maybe I could build with that technology. 
Right. Right. We don't go, I'm buying, what, what are you buying this year? I'm buying 14 petabytes of storage. I'm buying, you know, 397 processing cores and seven terabytes of memory. Uh, okay. What are you going to do with it? I don't know yet. We're going to figure it out once we get the stuff on the floor. That's right. It's my big pile. Right. It's my big pile. And I'm going to invent it as soon as I get it. We're going to rack it. We're going to stack it. Then maybe we'll talk about a software stack and an application stack. <clears throat> no, we, we don't do that. We haven't, like, <laughs> unless you work in a lab where your goal is to try to figure out how to push this stuff to a new limit, even then you start with a goal. My goal is to see, can we push 110 million IOPS a second sustained across 3K files for the next 150 years? Mm -hmm. right? like, like, even then you set out with a goal, even if you're buying a, a pile of stuff to make, to make that goal. And unfortunately, vendors tend to look at it as though it's the first scenario and not the second scenario, hmm. right? Because they're not necessarily providing the entire kit. They might, in fact, only have a unique Lego piece, and they're hoping that we have the entire rest of the kit or can compile it together. At the same time, I'm not certain that they're aware of what the other pieces are, mm. right? Like we'll use the car example. Okay, uh, I've got a, we're building a car and um, I need you to supply the wheels and tires. Um, and the wheels and tires need to be able to go 150 miles an hour for 90 minutes at a time, right? Right. Like, okay, cool. Here's some wheels and tires. Oh, we forgot to tell you we're building a four-wheel drive. Right. Right. We forgot to tell you we're building a slot car. We forgot to tell you we need the, the front the front wheels because it's, it's really just a dragster. We actually need to go 300 miles an hour. It's just a dragster. So the front wheels don't really need to sustain that speed. It's really just the real wheels that need to sustain that speed. The front we expect to be off the ground, right? Like, right. or, you know, sure. you're, you're providing the door panels only to find out that you didn't even ask what color the rest of the car is. And so it looks like something that was assembled from a junkyard over the course of six months. Right. Right. The number of times that we miss the target on either side, right? Customer side or vendor side, simply because we're not really having the contextual conversations and really making sure everyone fully understands what the outcome is. Right. Right. And so often we don't even state the outcome. I need this much. I, I need you to fulfill an order based on these technical requirements. But we didn't start with the technical requirements. So why would we end with the technical requirements? Right. Right. Shouldn't we say we want to accomplish this thing and we think your component requires some of these technical requirements and these are all the accoutrements around your piece. These are all the things you're going to have to interact with as they're specified to make sure we accomplish the goal. Right. right. But, but you're not really saying, or maybe you are, are you really saying that there's an, there's an expectation on the IT operators part to not only know what all the Lego I require, but also have determined what the process is to put it together and what the, uh, what that thing looks like at the end, what the ultimate outcome is going to be. Do you, I mean, not, not necessarily. Does all that work have to get done? <clears throat> not, not necessarily. I mean, that's the point of having a partner to begin with. And I think that, I think that the answer to that question varies depending on, do you have a partner or a vendor? Hmm. Right. Because okay. if I have a vendor, then I'm asking them to supply a part to which I've engineered the purpose of that part. Right, uh, Hitachi, great example, right? We manufacture millions of products. We don't necessarily consult with the company that supplies the bolts to hold the tractor together 
about how to use the bolts. Right. Right. Instead, we say I need an M12-8 bolt in quantity 257,000 right. by this date built to this metallic specification, right? Like, like we hand over a set of specs, so they return back. It makes sense because they know exactly how to slot that bolt into the overall machine and assemble it. Right. Right. But in the case that you don't know absolutely every piece of the machine and how you're going to assemble it, right? And you're not, you're, now you're looking for partners, right? You don't have that, that Lego manual that goes page to page and you go, oh, I need a white four by four for this. If right. all you need is a white four by four, dig through the box and, oh, I don't have that white four by four. I can order that white four by four. Right. Right. But in the case that you don't have that manual, that you're like, I think I want to build a car today because we need to get from point A to point B. You probably should turn to a partner and say, hey, we're looking to build a car. Can you help us build a car? Right. Yep. And I might, and I might need it custom. I might need it slightly different than all the other cars like kits I've seen, but at least you have an understanding of what that outcome looks like, what they all, that goal needs to look like. You need somebody to both help you with the guidebook and help you with the bill of materials, right? Helping you figure out what are all the piece parts it takes uh, in order to build that car. And, are, are, they, are they different partners? Are they different vendors? Are they different, are those different people? Or are they a one mega person, one mega vendor that can do it all? Uh, I mean, it, I, again, I think it depends, but, but I think it's likely that it's more than one, hmm. right? I think it's likely that you have at least three vendors, right? You, maybe you have one infrastructure vendor, maybe you have one application vendor, and maybe you have one kind of either security or monitoring kind of, you know, vendor, other right. vendor, whatever you want to put, right? Um, I, I think in the case that you have one, that's great. And, and by all means do that, but the chances are it's probably a set of vendors, right? right. A set of partners as it were, again, right? Partner versus vendor. Yeah. Um, and, and at the very least you have one, right? And maybe you don't need to involve, involve the person supplying whatever the component is, but there should at least be one vendor that is your primary partner in helping achieve whatever the outcome is, adding whatever the capability is. And the instruction sets, are they analysts? Are they um, uh, advisory type uh, system integrators? What do you think? Do you, would you build it yourself? I mean, I think come it depends. From the vendors? Like, it depends. Like, what's my level of comfort with what I'm trying to do? Is what I'm trying to do an upgrade of something that I've done before? Or am I adding a whole new line of business to IT? Right. right? Um, how new is the team that's going to manage it? and how comfortable is the team that's gonna manage it with the capability that I'm at it, right? If it's the first time I'm doing containers, uh, I probably want to have someone else at least sit side by side with me and build the run book, right? right? But if I'm, if I'm changing, let's say I'm changing from um, VMware to Hyper-V, now I'm probably looking for more of an advisor. It's probably not a good example, but but you know, right. sure. maybe I'm adding a management layer on top of Docker, right? I'm, I've been using containers for a while and I want to add Mesos or, or K8s or something, right? Uh, maybe yeah. Ansible Tower um, to help me manage, right? Maybe in that case, it's an advisor because I'm augmenting what I'm already doing, hmm. right? But I would say the more different it is from your current operations, the more close knit that partnership should be. And, and that gives me, sure, it's going to cost more, without a doubt. 
there's going to be more cash outlay. But it also means when it goes sideways, there's someone I can call and go, hey, that thing you helped me do is broken. Right? It's, not, it's not accomplishing the goal I set out to accomplish. Um, bring back the team. Let's, let's get this all done again. And the theory is if it's an eight-person team, sure, there's turnover. But six people from that team probably will be there still within the next year. Right. right? And so there's a fairly <laughs> decent chance that this thing that just went into production and failed, right, rather than just right. going, hey, that, that random workload that I threw in your storage isn't working. Hey, that random application that I threw on your server isn't working. Oh, okay, I don't know what that application is. I don't know what that workload is. I don't know how it's evolved or what the intention was with it. So all I can do as a vendor then is traditional troubleshooting methodology. Right. Yep, and, and it's very project centric. So when, when back in the back in the real world, when we used to do these things for for real, uh, it was always, uh, hey, I have to create a new application that does something new for the business. Uh, and I might have to create that from scratch, right? So an application that doesn't exist whatsoever, uh, and therefore I don't have the infrastructure application to deal with it. And now I've created this project team to say, okay, well, I have a sense of the business outcome and the business flow. From that, I need to determine what that application sense and flow is. From that, I need to know what the types of transactions and behavior is gonna be so I can figure out what the um, infrastructure is going to need. Um, and that is, in many ways, becomes the, the project plan to deliver on this thing, uh, which I now need to go compile a set of vendors and, and partners to actually deliver on that. On occasion, <coughs> I'd bring in an SI, right, to say, this is a, a business I haven't done before or a process I don't have a rich history in. Could you provide to me some sort of framework? So I'm now processing these type of widgets of all your awesome experience of processing widgets. Give me the the step-by-step -step process of, on how one would process widgets. And I'm gonna use that as both my application sort of uh, user uh, storylines and then what it's gonna to take to build the infrastructure to support that. Um, and then I might require a technical system integrator to actually bring all that, the awesomeness together, especially if I wanna use new technology. So, so what I would wanna recommend then is as a leader within IT, whatever your sphere of influence is, you kind of need four buckets, right? Not just your bucket of what you actually know, but you need four additional buckets. You need a bucket, number one, that's filled with the business stakeholder. You gotta be able to check that box for absolutely everything that you do, everything that's on the floor now and everything you wanna add, there needs to be a business stakeholder. Someone who understands not just what the goal is, but why the goal exists and how the business plans and executing against that goal, right? right more than just kind of a simple one page success criteria, but, right. but rather if we're doing, if we're augmenting an existing process, how is the process gonna change? What's their plan to train on that new process? How do they track success? What KPIs are they aligning to? Right. Two, <clears throat> I need um, a tr my, my list of trusted advisors. And that list is gonna change based on what the kind of product type is generally, right? I probably don't have one trusted advisor that I trust for everything but I may have a trusted advisor for infrastructure. I may have a trusted advisor for security. I may have a trusted advisor for, for certain type, you know, for, for my database applications or whatever it happens to be. Right. <clears throat> then I have a, a, a list of partners. They haven't really made it to the trusted advisor kind of position, right? right. But I still trust them. I work with them. I trust their technical people. I look to them to have input on the things that I request from them. And then I have a yeah. list of vendors. 
And I would almost go down the list in that order, right? Start with the business, start with then the trusted advisor, then the partner, then the vendors to kind of fill in the spaces and right. let each of them bring to the table as they go down more, you know, a larger percentage of what they're comfortable with and narrowing it down so that <clears throat> hopefully right. the least amount that's acquired is from the least valuable or strategic, you know, member of the party, which is the vendor, right? right. Um, and, I, and I think that'll help build for more success rather than less success. Now, as a leader, you also have to take into consideration how am I going to manage this as a capability? And that's what, right. you know, if you're playing, if you're playing the sweet spot, buzzword bingo, we use <laughs> the term capability a lot. Right. <clears throat> uh, true. Um, because it's not just introducing technology to your business, but it's potentially introducing a whole new set of skills to your business. Uh, you know, you've got 800 people who only know what you do, uh, and you're now introducing potentially new application, new infrastructure, new process, new ability to monitor it, uh, potentially even new vendors, new partners to deliver on it. Uh, that requires an, an upskill, reskill, potentially replacement of people which means that has to be part and parcel of the outcome of the project, not just the business outcome, but my team needs to be able to run and manage and operate it, not unlike it does everything else I do. That's the new capability. So I would also then say um, one of the things that, that probably is worth some investment time is in fact project management. Hmm. And I would call it product management, stop calling other stuff projects, but, <clears throat> but whatever you wanna call it, project management or product management, um, because what I see often is a product man, a project manager is someone who controls the milestones and the distance to the milestones mm -hmm. and puts together an email that says we've a we, we're on target. We're not on target. We're on budget. We're not on budget. Right. Right. Um, and the fact is that's not super valuable to the organization. Mm -hmm. Like it is a checkbox. It is something that absolutely needs to be done. But what I think is a far more intelligent approach is this is an opportunity to add something new to the business, which means it's also an opportunity to promote the value of IT. Right. So as a leader, we should also be asking, what does this do to raise our exposure within the organization, to raise the perceived value of IT within the organization? Mm -hmm. Thus, how do I make sure that I'm never just taking what my trusted advisor put together as a series of decks and passing that on? Right. How do I make right. sure that we're adding our own kind of flavor, our own style, our own input, right? And kind of some of that travel knowledge, some of that corporate culture into that information to make sure that it's really personalized for the group that we're giving it to. Right. And it's possible because you're not going to take verbatim these decks. You're going to now apply um, organizational knowledge to it, right? You're going to apply that I have hundreds of applications with varying degrees of importance um, and this has to be spotted, is slotted into that sort of varying degree. Um, I also have to um, appreciate that the technology team isn't, aren't the users of this application, the business is, and therefore I have to appreciate what that means to transition from IT to the business once sort of those projects are completed. Um, and of course, uh, the, the culture of the teams holistically, right? What, what, um, What's the longevity of these type of workloads, these type of applications? What's the expectations of the business users to innovate in some interesting way? Does the business want to learn as much as IT wants to learn? These are all sort of the 
cultural aspects of all of these changes. It can't just be uh, buying a SaaS product, implementing its generic sense, and assuming that's the best way to, that's the best approach. But it does happen. Yeah. And Which is why I'm not a, frequency. I'm not a huge, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the onlys or first strategies, right? Cloud onlys or cloud firsts or blockchain only or block or first or everything has to be API driven or everything has to be accessible by the business users of the business use that we can have low code, no code and everything. That makes no sense to me. Uh, it has to relate specifically to what and how the business wants to operate. And if in fact they want to uh, stay away from all things technology because they're focused on processing financial transactions and they don't want to do any low code, no code activities, then that should be fine with us, right? It should be fine to produce code if in fact producing code in this area is beneficial to the business. It, it can't be so binary. Well, I, so I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of firsts. Yeah. But, but I'm only a big fan of first within the context of you ask the question, right? So cloud first is, does it make sense to put this in the cloud? We look to cloud first. No, it doesn't make sense to put this in the cloud. Therefore, secondary, we look to our own infrastructure, right? right? Sure. Whatever, whatever first is, I think does make sense, but it has to be not, every, cloud first can't be, we're going to push it to the cloud unless it fails. Right. Right. It's just asking the question. We ask the question, does the cloud make sense for this? Or not? As a decision making, uh, flowchart, 100% true. Yes. Not as a testing of technology. No, 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 no. Cloud first doesn't mean we put it in the cloud first and hope it doesn't fail. Right. Cloud first just means we ask the question first. And right. I think the same for code, right? Um, and, and cloud can't be the goal and code can't be the goal. API can't be the goal, right? And none of these can be the goal. The goal is to enable the business. Right. And therefore, does cloud help the business enable the goal? Mm, yes or no. Right. That's, I, I think that's an acceptable cloud first strategy. And I think right. the same for, for API first, right? I'm a big fan of everything should have an API. I think it's a good policy to have. I think it's a good thing when, when judging technologies, right? How do I make sure I can access the things I need to access using code so that I can then develop more value from that thing, right? If I'm putting data into something and there's no API, how do I get the data out into my big data system so I can use that data in other ways? Right. At the same time, it, no decision should be made with the goal of promoting the technology. And I think we fall into a trap there. I think we get caught too much in our policies and go, well, we can't do this thing. It would be otherwise perfect for the business and significantly better than any other solution, but it lacks this. It last lacks this IT feature, and therefore we're going to throw it out. We're going to move on to the next one, and then we're going to take something that rather than hitting ninety-seven percent, hits eighty-four percent. Yeah, it's the first as table stakes that I find is a poor strategy, right? So I'm I'm going to pick product A over product B because it has this API that I may or may never use. Versus uh, product A and product B is actually beneficial comparatively to the business differently. And I'm gonna take the better business decision, regardless of whether it has an API first interface into it. Yeah, I, whole, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. <clears throat> right, start with the business. What's the goal of the business? How does this help the company make money or accomplish a thing that ultimately helps the comp company make money? And figure out what one does that best and then go, how many of our table stakes does it accomplish? And what is the cost to not having the others? Because there's a cost. 
Right. right? Not having the, an API may mean I don't have the ability to easily grab the data. Right. Okay, so, so what's the cost of that? Do I have to work with the vendor? Is there some hidden schema? Like, you know, there's a cost. So, so, sure. okay, so let's just document the cost and do a cost benefit analysis like we're supposed to do anyways. Right. Instead, I agree. We tend to look at that stuff and go, well, you didn't, meet, you didn't meet our ridiculous table stakes that don't actually matter for the goal that we should have set, so you're out. Right. Yeah. What, that we don't use in any way anyway. Right. Or you don't have this one uh, type of API integration. Well, sorry. Unfortunately, we need that one. We've never used it before. Right. But just but in, we might, in, the in the future. <laughs> That's right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. Um, or, or, or the expectation that it, that it works in all environments. Yes, one could install on-premise. Yes, a third party can manage it. Yes, it could be in the cloud. In fact, any cloud. And if you don't meet all of those criteria, then I can't buy from you, which right. is also a, kind of a weird thing. <laughs> right. How, how much of your, of, your, of your stuff is in the cloud today? I have like 11%. <laughs> okay, is there really a problem putting this with the other 88%? <laughs> right. right, like, like, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great if it did absolutely everything you want at every step of the way. And I do think it's an important question to ask. Yeah. Right. Where have you seen cloud success? How is this a cloud native application? Like, I think these are important questions. Sure. But I think they're important questions for what is my long term strategy and where am I at? Look, if you are 100% cloud today, then you don't have on and you have no on-prem, then that's not an option for you anyway. Yeah, in that's which a different case, situation. Right, in which right. case that, that is a valid table stake. Sure. Right, but, but I think for most of us, especially for most enterprises, for most companies that are more than 15 year, 10 or 15 years old, that's not really the, the, the truth of the matter, yeah. right? And, and what we see in the market is a lot more focus on hybrid multi-cloud rather than cloud only. Um, and so I think having those questions is important and being able to kind of go through a checklist and go, it meets all of these requirements and that becomes part of the report card when using to kind of do your cost benefit analysis and decide what the best solution is. But ultimately the business should always come first. So putting your buyer hat on and you produced an RFP that had these kind of table stakes, would you answer a question from a vendor that said, I see that you want this thing. What percentage of your current deployment is using this thing? Would you answer that question? I absolutely would. Yeah. So that they could determine whether it's actually a current need or a future need or a need that's probably improbable or impossible in the future anyway. Well, and I wouldn't just answer it with a number. Right. I wouldn't just say, uh, you wouldn't just how say much 11%. of your current infrastructure is utilizing APIs Therefore, how, how much of a requirement is that? I, I could very well say 11%, right. of which 96% are from purchases within the last three years. And this is our plan to utilize the API in the, with this tool set. Right. Or um, we want everything to have an API because while only 4% of our stuff is moving that way, it's a critical 4%. And we see in the future, the potential of this thing being incorporated into that. I think both of those are valid answers from, uh, from the buyer's perspective. But then as a buyer, it's also okay if they come back and say, well, is it okay if our roadmap says within the next 12 months we'll have API support? Right. Oh, yeah, like, okay, I can do that. Because within 12 months is probably gonna align close to us. Um, would you be all right with me being on the beta list for that API? Right. And we make sure we're involved in that decision making, you know, in, in kind of the test 
you know, the, the public test, when you get customers in and testing, can we make sure we're included in that? Like, I think all of that dialogue is great. And I would not, you know, if, if that's the scenario, I wouldn't eliminate it. Now, on the other hand, if I was, if I was saying, we see, we see this, the data produced within this being a critical piece of our big data strategy, um, you're not having an API makes it more difficult to get us data out of there. How do we access the data? And how do we access it in a way that allows it to, to fit with the rest of our, the capabilities of the team using to access that data? I think that's also valid. Perfectly valid. Um, uh, I would just look, if I were the one asking the question, I would look for hints that it's a future strategy with no particular current plans, right? So yes, blockchain intrigues me. Um, and I require all external system integration to be via blockchain. I've never used it nor understand really how it gets used, but thou shalt have it. That would be a problem, right? I agree. And, I, and I'd kind of expect my vendor to push me, push back on me, right? To say, I hear what you're saying, but if you have no current plans for it, you know, can you give me a sense of its level of mandatoriness? I'm also totally fine with a vendor replying back and going, hey, um, just so you know, we looked at incorporating blockchain into our tool set. However, for this type of work, what we determined was blockchain's not a good use. And these are the seven reasons we think blockchain's terrible to put in here. Right. Um, therefore, we'd really like to learn more about what you're attempting to do with blockchain in this case, with this data set, with this application, because we may be wrong. Right. Right. Um, and, and I see a lot of that when I, when I hear customers are doing blockchain and we get into kind of the weeds on it, um, what I hear is um, it generally is uh, tech, technology requirement pushing down rather than technology requirement pushing up. And I, and I hate to say it, but, right. but the ones that work the best are when a technologist goes, hey, we have an existing process and the process is this and the data set is this. And there is a new technology that solves that in a way that it couldn't be solved before that is a perfect use of that technology. Right. Where it's technology for business sake, it works out really well. Right. When it is, when it is technology for shareholder stake, no. Right. right. When it's, we want to do a checkbox that says we, we're, doing, we're doing blockchain, we have a blockchain strategy. Um, I think that tends to go sideways. Unless our blockchain strategy is blockchain, our blockchain strategy is no blockchain today because the current state of blockchain doesn't work for our workload, does not work for our business, does not make logical sense. And I think that's a valid blockchain. But when it's, you know, our shareholders want to see that we're using blockchain in our intellectual property. Hmm. Mm. It's, a way, it's way more difficult. Well, I just think it's dangerous. I, you know, yeah. I think it's way more than difficult. I think it's dangerous, right? So these new technologies have, have danger associated with them. And we tend to ignore the, regulatory and compliance dangers until it's way too late, right? It's, it's three years later and somebody from, from the regulatory compliance team goes, um, I heard you're using blockchain in that thing. We never certified blockchain and blockchain's immutable and you've got PII contained in an immutable blockchain. So we're going to need you to undo all that. <laughs> right. right. Find right. all that data in the million nodes that is currently being distributed in. Right. And for those who don't think that's going to happen, that is absolutely going to happen. PII <laughs> poisoning in blockchain is going to be the number one failure of blockchain. Right. Um, and it's going to happen the second any court rules it that way. Yeah. Right. So until, until a court actually rules that putting it in a blockchain is okay under the following circumstances, I really don't think you should put PII in blockchain for, for any reason. But. That, 
that being said, there is, and I'm sure you agree, there is tons of value in having an innovation team. And that innovation team exists for the purpose of learning. Uh, it may not be exist for the purpose of applying, but at the very least, it's for the purpose of learning, have a perspective, had a point of view, write that down, determine yep. if it applies or if it doesn't. And if it applies, let's test it out to see what the impact of its application will be. And if in fact that eventually turns out to be 10% of the time, a production worthy change, then ensure that you're handing off to the production worthy team to deliver into that production worthy environment. 100%. I would also encourage that some piece of your innovation team yeah. probably needs to contain not just technologists, right? Right. Um, and I'm not saying like the whole thing because your innovation team can very well be people that just look at technology and just try to validate the, does the technology have a value and adding other people to that very well may be a barrier there. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's phase two. Hey, we think this technology is neat. We think it has an application. Would you agree? That right. probably should include business stakeholders, governance stakeholders, finance stakeholders, right? People that can yeah. really look at look all at the it other dimensions. Yeah. yeah, all the other dimensions other than technically feasible. Right, right. And, and I would say until it goes through both of those, right, technical viability and call it corporate viability, it doesn't exit the innovation center. Right. Right. We don't talk about it to people not in the innovation center until both sides sign up. Otherwise, I think you're just asking for more trouble than it's worth. And I'm a big fan of not producing productionized value in the innovation center. Oh, I totally agree. Once viability is a check mark, then it's a train the actual teams who deliver on actual right. production worthy and get them to produce it as if they would any other project. Correct. Yeah. And I don't think that it, and, and, and I, I would almost argue that, that there's almost no handoff, mm. right? Like, like we've gone through the effort, we've found that there is viability here. These are our lessons learned. Here's the research paper we wrote. Enjoy the research paper we wrote. Because otherwise, because what you don't want to get in the habit of is your innovation team turning into your beta support team. Right. Right. And then your, oh crap, we put this in production support team. Right. Then you don't have an innovation center anymore. You just have another help desk. That's right. And it's a, it's a complicated, convoluted and expensive help desk. Right. Right. Which is why I like, it's, think of it much more like a research team yeah. and really focus on letting them do research and publish papers. That, right. that development teams can then take. And they're welcome to pick up the phone and call and go, hey, I'm trying to accomplish this. Do you have a code snippet that I can own? Yes, you now own this code snippet. I don't wanna hear about it again. Like I'm happy to help you, but I'm not taking over support on a code snippet. Yeah, and, and there's value that in that. Valid. They've already done the applicability to the business, the applicability to right. our own teams, the applicability to our own capabilities. Yeah. And that's already been pre-done. And that way it's not a generic MQ. Right? Right. It's just, just a quadrant. It's a We've already taken this and made the next step of that to say, here's how one would actually do it if, in fact, we want to create value from it. Awesome. Yeah. So is that a Lego piece? Is that a kit? What comes out of innovation team? Back actually, to our original premise. <laughs> this is what I think. I think much closer to this is what comes out of the innovation team. Hmm. Right. Um, if I were to define it, I would say it's this. Right here is the packaging for the thing that we are that we want. There's an instruction manual contained within inside, inside, and maybe it's just also an instruction manual on where to get the pieces and not necessarily the pieces. Right, right. Like I think that is totally acceptable. 
you will need a piece that is shaped roughly like this that fits this slot. I think right. that's totally okay, right? And, and maybe it's the beta version of that. We don't have the fancy box, right? What we really have probably is parts of a manual um, without necessarily the steps in between, but the end result per step. Right. I think that's totally acceptable. But at the very least, we know you need a Bubba Fett helmet. Correct. We're building a Bubba Fett helmet. This is where the Bubba Fett helmet fits. Maybe these are the large pieces to the Bubba Fett helmet, right? Like, right. like Bubba Fett as defined as Bubba Fett has a particular shape to it. It's not right. going to look like an X-Wing fighter, right? It's going to look like a, like a head wearing a helmet. Right. The color palette is a green and red and black and gold color palette, you know, like, like yeah. those kind of pieces. And because it's a bust, it's going to need a stand to rest on, right? Like, like you should be able to, out of the Innovation Center to define those things. So if you were to stand up and read from what the Innovation Center delivers, everyone in the room can close their eyes. And at the end of it, without saying the words Bubba Fett, you're probably going to see Bubba Fett. Right. Awesome. I think that was a good round to that story. <laughs> I would say my final note on the whole mess is when you're talking to a vendor and the vendor says, yes, we have, a, we, we have API on our list of, of features coming. If they can't give you a date or the date's more than 18 months out, you might want to add caution. <laughs> right. Right. Like we all have an infinite number of features coming on our, on our, on our requested feature list until they actually have a, a scheduled delivery date. I don't know that I would count that as a feature that you really want to start banking your business on. Agreed. So, all right, all. Well, this has been another sweet spot. Uh, I'm Howard Holton. And I'm Paul Lewis. Uh, thank you very much. And, and uh, please like, subscribe, and, uh, and we read every comment, um, whether we reply or, or not, or, they just, or, or we just uh, text them back and forth and, and get a chuckle uh, off, off of what you guys take away from this. <laughs> um, we do, we love your comments. Um, and if there's something you'd like to see, something you'd like to hear, uh, we'd love to, we'd love you to comment. So please comment, subscribe, share, do all the things that every podcast is supposed to ask you to do. Thank you all. And, and hopefully you'll join us next week. That was a very interesting topic, guys. And as always, my friends, please share and subscribe to this podcast or our video channel and make sure that you continue your growth and development because we want to lead, but we cannot do it alone. So Share this with others so they can grow with you. And we see you on our next episode.